success looks so easy from the outside, but all successful people have had to overcome enormous obstacles along the way. And in many cases, look failure right in the eye. Most successful people don't focus on the struggle and rarely do they talk about it because quite frankly, that's not what creates success. Join us here where we will chat with fierce female entrepreneurs and share the good, the bad, and the ugly of entrepreneurship and talk about the obstacles we have faced and how you can overcome them to reach the success that you desire. I am your host, Cami Lehman, and this is the She's Invincible Podcast. everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today on the She's Invincible podcast. Let me tell you, I have two of the most invincible people I know with me this morning, and I am so excited to introduce them to you. I have Clifton and Lauren. They have been living life as husband and wife for 16 years, but for the last six of those years, Lauren has been living with a terminal diagnosis of metastatic breast cancer. She says, blah, blah, blah. I think you guys can figure out the rest. Clifton is a detective and a PhD candidate. Lauren is the founder of Adventure Therapy Foundation and Can Be Innovations. They have three amazing children and they are taking this journey of metastatic breast cancer. And let me tell you, I am so impressed with what I saw when I met them just a few weeks ago at the Stage for Change conference. And I know you're gonna get sick of hearing about this, but I met the most amazing invincible people who are literally changing the world with their stories. And so welcome Lauren and Clifton. I am so excited to have you here today on the She's Invincible podcast. And let's do this. Let's jump in. Let's tell our listeners how in the world did you get where you are today and what makes you invincible? And Lauren, let's start with you. Good morning. Thank you so much for having us today. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm happy to be here with my husband. You know, we spoke at the conference of, a few weeks ago and it was wonderful for us to have the opportunity to stand side by side and, and really give the our story and, and what's making it work for us. Um, I think this is Clifton's dream come true. He always wants us to have a job where we work side by side together. So I love that um, he's getting what he wanted um, through our cancer experience. So uh, yeah, Clifton and I have been married for 16 years, as you said, and um, we do have a good meeting story, um, how we got together. And so we probably could start with that. Uh, but his sister wanted us to meet and we neither of us wanted to meet each other because it just felt like getting set up was not the right thing by your sister. And she was my boss at the time, but she was very um, devious and she dropped me off one day at a place where Clifton was so that I would have to meet him. And then I 
I walked, I was, I hadn't even entered the room. I, I was standing on the threshold of the room and I looked across the room and I saw Clifton and I knew he was the man I wanted to marry. And I, from that moment have been completely devoted to Clifton. Um, it took him a little time to decide the same thing about me, but that's okay. I was, I was so convinced for the both of us. It didn't really matter, but, um, Clifton has been an amazing husband and father ever since, um, you know, from then on. And so we're so happy that we have each other, um, especially since we have to deal with um, a terminal disease in our life. So for me, yeah. the it, the story's not the same at all for me. So actually, um, my sister was emailing me. I was on a semester abroad uh, trip to Jerusalem, and uh, she sends me this email. We don't. My family doesn't email a lot. So um, I get this email from my sister. Hey, I've got this. Um, I got this new employee. A uh, girl working for me. I really think you should meet her. So I emailed back immediately. Uh, no, I'm not at all interested in being set up by my sister with one of your employees. Thank you very much, though. She says, she says oh, she's really cool. Um, I think you'd love her. She's got uh, this really awesome degree from this prestigious school in international politics. And uh, I was like, so I emailed back. I was like, oh, international politics. That's pretty cool. Okay. Uh, maybe when I get back, I'll, I'll meet her. So uh, a few months later, actually, I get back to um, to California, and she's like, "Okay, I'm going to bring her by tonight." Now, I assumed, of course, that Lauren knew that she was going to come meet me. She's like, "Yeah, I'm bringing Lauren by tonight. Be ready. Change your shirt, whatever you know. Don't wear the shirt with holes in it." And uh, I didn't listen. I had the shirt with holes on it, and. Um, and then she just walks in, right? And so I assumed that she knew that she was there to meet me. She apparently didn't know this at all. Well, me thinking that she knew that we were meeting, it was surprising to me when she didn't talk the entire evening. Now, she'll use the excuse that I have a big, loud family, which is absolutely true. And I had just gotten back from four months abroad, so everyone was excited to see me, and so we, were, we never stopped talking. Granted, we never shut up. I can guarantee you that's true. But at the same time, she didn't say a word this whole time, so I, you know, I wasn't really that interested in her. So, like, the next day, my sister calls me, hey, uh, did you want Lauren's phone number? You can give her a call. I was like, nah, that's all right. She's like, Why? She didn't talk the whole time we were, we were together. I, I wanted, I wanted to, uh, to get to know her, and she didn't, you know, say four words the whole evening. So later, um, at, that, at that initial um, meeting, my sister had offered, you know, had invited Lauren to come to a birthday party. My sister was having a couple weeks later. And so we all get together at this birthday party, and Lauren's there. She's sitting by herself in the corner. And so I, of course, went and sat down next to my grandma, and my grandma, you know, was a, was a firecracker of an old lady. She looks at Lauren. She said, well, Clifton, that girl is here for you. You go and sit with her right now. And I was like, okay, grandma, take it easy. I'll go sit with her. So she's here for you. And you're just leaving her by herself. You go sit with that girl. I was like, take it easy, grandma. I'll leave right now. So I got up and sat with Lauren. And then, of course, once we, it was just the two of us, it was a little quieter. Everybody was less excited. We got to know each other and we fell in love. But that's how it was a little bit rocky at the start for me. Oh, my gosh. That is so funny. Your sister, she's something, huh? 
little whippersnapper. <laughs> she was going to have it her way no matter what. She was not taking no for an answer. I'm sure you're so grateful to her today. Definitely that's, so. That's amazing. Let's do this. I've never done this before. Let's do this. This is going to be fun. I'm going to have Lauren tell me what makes you invincible, Clifton, and then we're going to do the same thing, okay? Because I just love the magic here. So Lauren, you're going to tell us what makes Clifton invincible. I think Clifton is self-proclaimed in this, but his philosophy in life is just flow on. Like, just don't let anything stop you. Don't let anything snag you. Don't get over, you know, don't rock the boat. Just keep going. Just keep going. Do what you do. And um, and really, that's helped him, I think, a lot through our our situation because he he won't he won't jump 10, 10 steps forward. He doesn't keep living in the past. He just keeps moving at the right pace, the where we are. And, um, and that, and he's definitely what keeps us stable. Um, cause if I have a moment where I'm jumping to the past or I'm jumping to the future, he's just right here where we are today. And, um, and he lives right that, right that moment. And I think that just keeps us um, anchored. And so that, I think that really makes him invincible and helps the whole family stay strong. I love that. Okay, Clifton, it's your turn. Tell us what makes Lauren invincible. Well, let me just start with, I love this idea because it's so much easier for me to talk about Lauren than it is for me to talk about myself, believe it or not. I do love talking about myself, but answering a question like this is, is really hard for me. So it's much easier to talk about Lauren. So thank you for phrasing the question this way. I think Lauren has found her invincibility in having purpose and living um, outside of herself for others. The more, um, especially when you're living with stage four breast cancer, when the more you live for yourself, the more you turn inward and the harder it becomes and the less, um, and the less invincible you become. When you stop living for yourself and you start finding your purpose and helping others, even when you're the one, even when you're the one with this terrible disease, to turn it out and find purpose and help others that are struggling, that's where she finds her invincibility. And as long as she has purpose, as long as she's helping others, as long as she's turning her gifts and her disease outward for other people, nothing can stop her. She's absolutely invincible. Oh my gosh. I would say that's really accurate from what I know of you guys so far. Oh, that's amazing. That was so fun. Oh, we're going to have to do more of that. Okay, so now we're going to just jump into all the things we want to talk about uh, choosing hope over fear. Again, what Clifton just said about you, Lauren, living with purpose um, and then loving on purpose, which is, I think, where the magic comes in. So let's start and then you two can just play off each other, jump in, interject, cut each other off, do what you do, whatever the way you do it. Who wants to start? Oh, I definitely think Lauren should start by <laughs> okay, talking, girl. <laughs> about what, talking about what her purpose is and, um, and how, how she loves lives and loves on purpose. Beautiful. I think since you really do want to know about like our dynamics more, maybe we should start with loving on purpose. Um, I think that'll give us, give, give us into, um, sort of the day-to-day -day choices that we make since you want it to be real in that way. So um, when it comes to loving on purpose, it, it is a choice. You know, I, I don't think, 
I don't know what people think about marriage or a relationship, but you have to be intentional and you have to be, it has to be a daily choice. And, and sometimes even more than that, a moment by moment choice, you know, and in order to choose to love, you have to also have love to give. So you have to be okay with who you are and, and, you know, how to find your own peace and your own um, value outside of the person. So I don't feel valuable. I don't feel, you know, fulfilled just because Clifton loves me. I know that I am those things and therefore I can receive his love. And I think some people get that reversed. Um, But, but you, your love comes from your own, you know, your own, just knowing and a strength that comes from within and then you get to share it. Um, but if I was always relying on Clifton to make things right for me, especially with my disease and it's something he can't, our relationship definitely wouldn't work, you know? So, but Clifton will, you'll find out has a lot of different responsibilities and I have encouraged him in those things because it is important to him to have, dreams he's chasing to have career that takes care of us it's important for him to be a good dad and good husband and all of those things take time and so some one of the hardest things for me in loving on purpose is sort of not getting jealous of all the other things you know when he is he's he's a phd candidate and so he gives 10 to 15 hours a week a day plus a lot of extra mental mental time and space to his PhD. And, you know, that time could go to doing something with me or fixing something in the house or, you know, whatever. But, but I know that as a whole person, um, he needs something to dream for, right? He's, he's got me and my disease. He's got the responsibility of loving those girls. And it's such a heavy responsibility, um, to raise children right now in this day and age. And, um, he has so many other things in his life that I need, he has to also have something to dream for himself. And so, so the hardest thing for me on living on purpose is giving him the space to do all those things and, and, you know, not needing him at my side or not needing him to like, you know, do something for me or with me, but, um, because I want him to be strong and I want him to be able to, um, look back on this life and not just think he lived life, like working or, you know, doing this task for his whole life, but instead he had purpose himself and he had, um, a dream he was chasing and, and that in the end will help him feel full and fulfilled. So, and if he doesn't feel fulfilled, then he can't love me either. And so for me, loving on purpose for Clifton is really giving him the space to do all of these other things and sort of stepping out and letting him, letting him him do all those things. Well, this is the magic that I talk about. Okay, Clifton. And I can just say, let me, let me start with, um, it's, it's interesting that Lauren talks about that because she's literally doing that right now. I'm off. Yeah. At a, I'm off at a training conference that I've been super excited about. That's that's been a, a goal and a dream of mine forever. And so here I am off at this training conference, and Lauren is, you know, sacrificially being at home, doing all that she does, taking care of the girls, and um, do, you know, being ten times busier uh, with all of that entails because I'm off at a training conference. You know, so she's, she's literally living that out right now. Um, not at all just empty words or, or just, you know, solely theory, but literally she's at home, um, taking care of things and doing 10 times more work. 
so that I can be off here chasing a dream and, uh, and getting to attend this awesome training conference. So, and I didn't, I wanted to provide a counterpoint though. Um, because, you know, Lauren talked a lot about intentionality and she's absolutely correct. I, you know, I'm not, I'm not disagreeing with her in any way, but at the same time, um, like one of my biggest things is like, is like paradoxes, like how two things can be opposite, but actually exist and really complement each other at the same time. And so we absolutely must love on purpose. We absolutely must live with an intentionality. We must be focused on doing what we need to do. But however, at the same time, when you are the person that you're supposed to be, when you are doing the things that you're supposed to do, when your identity is secure and you know who you are, then loving and living with purpose should also be organic and natural. And so it's this thing is, you know, it's this constant tension of, I want to be intentional and I want to do the right thing, but you also want to flow. You also want to live with like an organic, um, like things should be natural when you are who you are supposed to be. Then the things you're supposed to do will come naturally and they'll just flow out of who you are. And so at the same time, you know, if, if you are living with intentionality, but you're not who you're supposed to be, then you come up with a, with a conflict where things get forced and difficult and you're like grinding it out instead of just naturally doing what God made you to do. Right. I so, love that. She said that about you too. Hold <laughs> on, hold on. Yeah, she, exactly. she called you out on that in the beginning. I love it. Yeah, what makes exactly. you invincible? So living with intentionality, but in a natural way, right? Living and loving on purpose, but doing it from like a heart of this is who I am. And so it comes naturally to me. So intentionality, but being organic at the same time. So it's a weird, it's a weird paradox, but I think that you need both. But, but also we have to take a lot of risk because Clifton and I are doing way more things than I think maybe most people are doing. You know, we are, we're willing to take on this risk in our relationship um, because I mean, Clifton's four or five years into his PhD. He hopefully will be done in the next year or so. But that was a huge risk of time, especially when you have a disease and you have no idea what's going to happen. Um, and, you know, my all of my visions and dreams to impact cancer community are risks. Like, I don't know if any of them will come true. I don't know if all of them will come true, but I, I, I believe in my purpose. I believe in my purpose so much that I don't think I can fail. Like, I don't see any other reason for me to have this disease, except that I am supposed to bring change to the cancer community. But because I believe in my purpose so much, and I believe this is what I'm designed to do, I take these crazy risks and say crazy, you know, things that are bolder than I am. And, um, and Clifton has to stand there and be okay with that too. You know, so there is, are these choices, um, because, I spent a lot of time and, you know, it, you might look like stress or being, you know, stretched thin or something from the outside, but from the inside, um, it is so invigorating and exciting. And like, I get so full up with, with all of the work I do, even if I'm working from the moment I wake up to the moment I go to bed, it's exciting. It's, it's not a burden. And Clifton has to trust me on that because from the outside, he could hear like, 
I'm like, I don't know how I'm going to get it all done. And it'll look like stress and something that would be, we consider bad. Um, but when really I'm just, I'm so full of ideas and so full of purpose that it's like, I want to shove it all into every single day. And, um, and that's a good thing for me. So there is all this, you know, there's risk involved, um, when you're, when you're both chasing sort of different dreams, you know, um, and, and we believe because we are married and we are brought together and we believe that our purposes are aligned. The one time at, at some point, our different dreams are going to come back together and we have no idea how that's going to happen. Um, but Clifton does want to work side by side. So, um, I believe that as he chases this dream and I'm chasing this dream one day, we're going to find that they're going to come together and we'll get to do that together. But, um, but it's more about chasing the process right now. We're at the, we're, we're not at the very beginning think thankfully, but we are um, at, towards the beginning of our, our journey. And so there is that part as well. This makes so much sense to me. And I just kind of now have more understanding of what's happening here and what I have seen between the two of you. So, you know, just going back to what you said about the, you know, living on purpose and loving on purpose and the intentionality and all of those things. I think that those are core values that a couple needs to have before they get all the things that come into a marriage, whether it's, you know, uh, struggle, finances, disease, whatever it is. It seems like you two already had so much lined up in the core of your relationship that when this cancer diagnosis came, you already had the armor because you already were solid in the beliefs that you had and how you were living your lives. And uh, supporting each other and the purpose and intentionality. I love what you're saying about, you know, how you feel it's important that he does what he needs to do, right? And live his life and build and create those amazing things for himself. And that you, on the other hand, are driving hard into your purpose, exhausting yourself. You know, what that says to me is when both of you cross the finish line, you're going to be absolutely empty with no air left, fully smoking <laughs> because you live the most passionate life you could in the time that you had. And I say this all the time, when we get a cancer diagnosis, that's when we start living. It sounds like that wasn't what was happening. And I love that, you know, you're doing this. I love that because you are such a good example for the world, for your family, for your children. These are things that they learn that, that will never go unnoticed. They will live these same principles. You are creating the most deepest, amazing, magical legacy within your own home for these girls to grow up and step into. And that is amazing. And my point in saying that is that I want to remind our listeners, stop trying to save yourself. Go live your life. You need to live your life every day like it's the last day because it's not always a cancer diagnosis that ends our life. Sometimes we cross the street and get hit by a bus or get shot by a bullet that was, you know, meant for somebody else. I mean, that just happened here in Philly to a young girl the other day on a playground. Like you, you don't know. So quit saving yourself, live your life to the fullest. Nobody knows how much time we have, right? Nobody knows. And you have to do what you want to do and live your best life. I love that. Okay. Let's talk about choosing hope over fear. Who wants to go first? What do you think? I'll take, this, I'll take this one first. Okay, great. Uh, I'll tell you. And uh, you've heard me say this before, but 
ultimately hope is a choice. Uh, a lot of times we think like, Oh, it's just, you know, it's just something that comes to you or you just have it or you don't, or who knows where it comes from. No, hope has to be generated by your own decisions. You have to choose to have hope. And so it's, I'm not saying that it's easy and I don't want to be, um, overly naive. I'm not saying that it's an easy choice and you just wake up one day and you know, you take the blue pill rather than the red pill or whatever. This is nothing, not like that at all. It's a very, very difficult choice. It has to be constantly made on an ongoing basis, but you can find hope and you can choose hope if that's what you're looking for, if that's what you're chasing after. And if you're, if you're doing the things to develop hope in your life, the longer you choose it and the longer you develop it, the easier that it becomes. And a huge part of that is finding community, right? Hope is found when we share this journey with others. And so um, that's, that's one of the things that we are constantly pushing, identity and community. If you, if you have a community around you, then um, it's much easier to have hope. And you can share that hope with one another. So when someone's having a hard time, when they're not able to choose hope, then you can come alongside them and you can share hope. That's one of the things that have made um, our marriage so strong. And one of the things that have gotten us through this is when I'm having a hard time and I'm in a bad spot, Lauren sees that and she, and she becomes the strong one and she shares her hope with me. And then when she's having a hard time, I say, I, you know, it's my turn to be, it's my turn to be the strong one. And I share my hope with her and we can feed off of each other. And that's one of the most important things about finding hope is living in community, lifting each other up so that we can make the choice towards hope. But um, it's, it has to be a choice that you make. You have to seek after hope. You have to pursue it and you have to choose it. I was just reading last night, some studies and they were looking at how, um, the things you put into your brain, the things you tell yourself will actually shape your results, right? And so they were doing things like if you think about smart people, the smartest person you know for a while, then you take a test, then you're going to make a higher score than if you sit around and think about your favorite football player and you take the same test, you're going to have a lower score and all these things. But I think the same thing comes from how we see the world, how we see our life. Um, Clifton and I just simply refuse to believe anything other than a hopeful future for me. Um, and that was, that is not easy. And I, and I said it before, but at some points it was a moment by moment choice. Like I, I didn't have any reason to hope, right. My, my scans and my diagnosis, there was no logical reason for me to have hope. But if I didn't have hope, I knew what was going to happen in my home and I knew what was going to happen with my children. And so, you know, my hope was not even necessarily for myself. It was for the person I wanted to be right now. And the person I wanted to be right now would shape who my kids would be in the future. And so if I lived right now under a diagnosis that said I wouldn't live, then my children's future would be shaped by that. But if I live right now out of hope, a hope that they don't even really understand, right? They don't even understand what I'm overcoming. But um, if I live for that hope, then they feel that hope off of us. And, um, and it, it doesn't have to be rational. Like that's the thing about it. We believe what we want to believe. Like the doctors can tell me something and I can believe it or not, but I, I can believe in something better for myself. You know, we all, 
I don't believe I have to stay in a certain station. You know, I can believe something better for myself. Right. And if I believe it and I point myself in that direction and I seek things out and I tell myself that and I, and I, I learned to believe in hope over a scan. And, you know, that to me was always the hardest one when I'm driving to a scan or driving to a doctor's appointment when they're going to read to me the scan the entire way. I just have to say over and over and over, like, I don't hope in the scan. I don't hope in this doctor's words. They have no idea who I am or what is going on in my body. They know about that. They need a tiniest amount of about information about me. I have more hope than they understand. And, and that is where I'm going to live, right? I'm going to live in that instead of in this like one piece of paper data that's going to change every single month from now on, it's always going to be changing. So why would I ruin a month of my life over a bad piece of paper today? Um, and when you, when it comes to children, um, they feel more than they need information about. I guess they don't need all the details around my cancer. And we have an open policy. Anything they want to ask, we're going to tell them the truth. But they don't ask that much. They are more likely to respond to how I'm doing emotionally, um, spiritually, how I'm how I'm acting, how I'm interacting with them. They're going to learn more about my situation by that experience than by the details of some medical diagnosis that doesn't really make that much sense to them. And so it comes back to you have to be you have to be whole yourself, even before you can take care of your kids. You know, you have to have that strength, hope, faith, whatever you need um, to get through your situation so that your kids can grow and thrive off of that, over the overflow, the abundance of that in your life. Um, and no amount of data is ever going to help them feel more secure in who I am or what I'm going, but the way I am that will, that will raise them up. Um, and, and so I think that that's really important for, for everyone. I'm so glad you said that. And I love what you're talking about with this, the hope and the, just the positive affirmations. That is so important. I actually teach that in my coaching business. And, you know, that's a biblical thing that, you know, even, even Jesus says, I am the great I am, right? So the most powerful words come after I am. So, you know, everyone needs to be practicing this, whether they have a cancer diagnosis or they're just, you know, living a great life is that you always want to step into that next level of greatness. And that is so powerful to do that and have those I am statements. I can just imagine you driving to your appointment thinking, I am healthy. I am healed. I am whole. I am complete. Like, oh my gosh, you know what? If you can convince yourself of all of that, then that will be the truth. And I believe that 150%. And I'm so grateful that you brought that up. I love that, Lauren. I love it. Clifton, is there anything you want to add to that? Yeah, of course. Um, Lauren always says, and, and I think this is so true, that fear is more detrimental to our lives than the cancer itself. And when we, when we choose to live in fear, um, and then what follows from choosing to live in fear is ultimately despair. And that will steal your life away. And it make, makes your actual life, you know, it, it actually steals your life away more than anything else. And when you live in fear and despair, um, there's really no life in that. And so um, there's like a, it's like a double whammy of hope. Hope has the power to give you a better today and hope has the power to bring you a better tomorrow. 
as well. And so it helps you, you know, it helps you to live a good life now. Um, it chases away that fear and despair, but it also helps you to, to, to feel better and have better results as well. So I just think that this choice right here is so hard, but it's so important. It's so important. Say is that fear is contagious. Like, you know, cancer can shorten the length of my life, but fear is contagious. So if I live in fear, even if I'm gone, my fear is going to keep going and my fear is going to live in my children and it's going to have shaped their futures. And so not only will I be gone, but their entire life trajectory will be defined by fear. And so then I've lost my life and my legacy, right? So fear is more detrimental to my legacy than my cancer is because I can have cancer and live on purpose and live boldly and without fear and, and accomplish so many things. And even if my days are short, my life is full, more full. But if I live in fear, I have been silenced. And then my children's potential has also been silenced. And that is worse. That is worse than cancer because it is because my, because we're really our lives are really defined by legacy rather than the, the how many days we have, right? And so um, fear is going to kill that legacy. I couldn't agree more. And I'm so glad you said that because that is the truth. Don't you, you know, people, right? We all know people who are like worry words. So all they do is worry, worry, worry. And you're like, well, where's this come from? Then they get it from like their mom or they tell you stories. My grandmom used to worry about everything. Like you do inherit those things. And that is absolutely rooted in fear. And I just love that you said that. And fear is not from God. Fear is not from anything good. It is really a discouragement. It's a tool of discouragement. Oh, this is so powerful. Okay. So I want to uh, talk to you about your Adventure Therapy Foundation. So let's go there now and let's talk about like what, when did it start? What, what was your whole thinking around this? What are you doing? How are you helping people? What is it all about? Tell us all the things. Sure. Um, so after I was diagnosed with metastatic breast cancer, because I had a, a previous diagnosis before, but I I sat down one day and I like can see in my head, like I, I realized it was going to be the best part of my life and the worst part of my life. Um, it was the worst part because I would have to just lay down my life earlier than I had expected. But it was the best part of my life because all of a sudden I had a people that I could impact and I had a voice that was going to be unique. Um, and, and so with that little seed of hope inside of me, I decided, um, I was, I just went out to sort of pursue looking for, um, how to start helping people. And, and then just all of the things aligned. Um, I was on the way home from a conference and some random strangers started talking to me in the airport. And he was a lawyer who worked for nonprofits. And he said, whatever you want to do, I want to do it with you. And this is the line I get from so many people, whatever you want to do, I want to do with you. And so, um, then I was, then I had this like sort of revelation. I was on a hike in Yosemite and I had this revelation about adventure therapy foundation. And I, I had this little bit of an idea that I wanted to send people into the wilderness. And that's, you know, that's where it started. And I came home and I called this random man's phone number and he set me up with a beautifully designed um, nonprofit on paper and, and did all of it, paid for all the fees, did everything for free. And, um, and that just sort of taught me that, you know, if I do want to start using my voice, 
the resources will be there before I even know what to do with them. <laughs> and I've just sort of operated off of that ever since that um, my vision is, is again, I, I honestly believe I've been designed for this. And my vision is like intended. It's supposed to be spoken now and everything I need is going to be there for me along the way. And that's why I'm able to dream so big. Um, so I, I founded adventure therapy the, the year I was diagnosed and have been working ever since. Um, we started out with our, our flagship program, which is to send young families impacted by cancer on all expense paid retreat in their own area. So they're supposed to go somewhere they've never been because we want them to realize you have new life to live after cancer, <laughs> but we had to, we wanted it to be within three hours of their home because we want you to know you need to find good things wherever you are. I say, anyone can be happy in Maui. You need to learn to be happy where you are today. And so the, the retreat program started with that, especially over COVID. I wanted to expand because before, um, I would help mentor people and we would talk about three things before they went on the retreat, fear, isolation, and identity, and how cancer, um, how those are this emotional side effects of cancer. Um, but then during COVID, I decided I really want to expand this idea. I really wanted to create a whole mentoring or coaching program around these ideas. And so I started hiring coaching pro, um certified cancer coaches to, to walk people through a system, a curriculum around these three ideas. Um, now we're moving even further. We're going to um, create a virtual platform with, um, with modules and you can go in and learn about different topics and listen to experts and survivors and patients and, and hear about the cancer process and how different people process things like parenting, living and having marriage and, you know, co-survivors, the, the spouses, and the partners and the caregivers, we're going to have, we're going to, I say like it's already done, but we're going to build this platform where people, when they have those questions, can go there right away. They don't have to wait on emails or, or appointments or whatever. They can go and get those answers and, and it will be sustainable. It'll live beyond me because once it's created, it doesn't need to go away. Um, and, and people can come from everywhere. It doesn't matter where you live. You'd be able to come and get that information. So, so we're, I'm really, really interested in serving um, the emotional side effects of cancer. I think there's a lot of, I, and I define patient survivor different maybe than other people, but I think a, there's a lot of focus on the patient, the physical nature of cancer. Survivorship or survivor to me is a word that it really is around wellness, mental health, emotional health, relational health, spiritual health. Survivor is really about how the person is truly doing, you know, inside. Patient is about how, treatments are working survivor. So I'm really interested in the survivor part of, of cancer, um, and, and its impact. So this is, this is where we are with adventure therapy right now. Um, we we've served, we've given more than 50 retreats away in the last three years. Um, we have more than 50 people who've applied for more. Um, and then, but our coaching program is being developed right now so we can serve whoever, whenever, as soon as you come, I can provide you this service and you can start um, seeking out healing. You know, there's cures for your health, <laughs> for your physical health, and there's healing for your soul and your heart. And I'm really working toward providing innovative tools to help bring healing in the cancer process.
Oh my gosh. And it, Clifton, he described it so beautifully when he shared about what makes you invincible and, and how you're really turning this the other way and help using it to help so many other people. And I just, I can't, I love this. I love it. How can people get involved in this? Uh, whether it's through donations, tell us where we can go. Do you have a website, something where people could make direct donations and support this amazing work that you're doing? Sure. Um, adventurefound.org is my website. It's a beautiful website. It has stories. It has our vision. I would love, I really need um, monthly partners. So if you could donate $25 a month, that's like one coffee a week. Like everyone can handle $25 a month, but this, this size of donation and this consistency in donations helps me be able to plan my programs. I'll know what's coming in and therefore I can know what I can give away. Um, and I, of course I appreciate larger donations and, you know, one-time donations, but for me to be able to plan long-term, these consistent monthly donations are super important. And question for you, this is amazing. And it's like hard to believe that $25 a month can make a difference. We really need to team up on this and get a group together to start making some commitment to this amazing organization that you have. Um, my question was, is this only for metastatic breast cancer or is this everything? We serve all people. Again, I, okay. I don't, I don't know if discriminate is the right word, but actually breast cancer has a lot of resources. There's a lot of organizations serving breast cancer. And so I think it's very important to see all people impacted by cancer because um, the emotional side effects don't have to go in one pocket or the other, right? Everyone is impacted and it's for the co-survivors. You know, these platforms, when I am able to launch my um, virtual coaching, it's going to be so important for the co-survivors as well, because they need to know like what I'm processing on the inside and just can't quite get out and they need tools for themselves and ways to connect. And so this is for um, all cancers, um, paid, uh, survivors, as well as co-survivors. Any, really any family impacted by cancer. Yeah. If some, if somebody has recently passed away from mm -hmm. cancer, we'll, Lauren will serve the, the family um, and they can go on a, a retreat uh, in order to heal from the recent loss as well. So we, we like the term um, families impacted by cancer and it can be any cancer. That's amazing. That is such amazing support. And, you know, I think, you know, when people go through this, they don't even know what they need. They don't know what questions to ask. They don't know any of it. So it's just so important for us to raise awareness and let people know what is available to them and, you know, who needs it, right? You wouldn't even think, I wouldn't have even thought like that they can't, you know, the patient's uh, families afterwards. So that's amazing. And I want to mention and give you a shout out Lauren Huffmaster's story and her husband been Clifton, their story here is in Terminal, Far from the Shallow. And this is a, a book that features many, many uh, metastatic breast cancer uh, patients and their families. And we want to make sure you get that. Last week, we had Amanda Medina on and her stories also in this book. So you have two reasons now where you want to get this book, read these stories and learn what you should know about this disease and about how you can live your best life in spite of it. And now a word from our sponsor, Christine Trumbull, founder of Coaching the Climb, understands the challenges of building a successful business. She's faced many of those challenges herself and helped hundreds of clients build successful businesses. 
With the launch of her new podcast, The Climb with Christine, you will hear the same advice she gives her clients, as well as conversations with experts in a variety of topics, including business, health, relaxation, mindset, kids, and fashion. Check it out on iTunes, The Climb with Christine, and be sure to subscribe, download, and give her a rating and review. Okay, guys. Well, this has been so great. And, you know, on the She's Invincible podcast, we promise our listeners we're going to bring them amazing, invincible people who are going to share expert zones of genius. I don't know any better experts than the people that are on the ground walking through the journey right now. And so thank you so much for sharing that part. We also promise them that we are going to share the good, the bad, and the ugly of the journey. You see, without the good, the bad, and the ugly, there cannot be great success in life or business. Every, every great success comes with enormous obstacles and enormous ugly. I think the more ugly you have, the more success you can create. And so right now we're going to tell some stories. So we want to share with our listeners Uh, We'll start with the good, and I want you to, you can either tell the same story if you want to play off each other, or if you each have your own, we're going to run through these and let them know. So let's first start with the good, and I'm going to start with Clifton. Clifton, tell us a good story. Well, it's it's not a perfectly good story, but you have to, this one mixes in the good and the bad and the ugly all into one story. So I'm not trying to get off the hook with just one, but this is one, one of my personal favorite stories. And, um, I shared it at the conference and I don't know why, but it always chokes me up. So that's how good a story it is for me. But it was, we were just coming off of the, um, year and a half of, um, Lauren's cancer treatments when she was stage three. And so it was this whole year of chemo or a year and a half really of chemotherapy, massive, um, surgeries that left her in the hospital for weeks at a time. And then it was radiation and the whole time I was working full time and caring for the kids and caring for Lauren. So it was a very, very, very difficult year of treatments. And then um, when the treatments were over and we thought that she was done with cancer, um, I started my PhD program and I was just one semester into it. And, uh, and, and when, she, when she was diagnosed as stage four metastatic breast cancer. <clears throat> so, of course, you know, w- once the initial dust and shock settled, I came to her and I said, all right, Lauren, I'm dropping out of school. There's absolutely no way that I could do all that again and, and keep in school and, and work and take care of the kids. It's just something has to give. And the most obvious choice is for me to quit school. And she said, I will not let you drop out of school because it's not going to be one more thing that cancer steals away from us. It's not going to be one more thing that I let cancer rob from this family. And so um, she did. She made me stay in school, even though she was had the stage four breast cancer. And uh, it was certainly not easy, but we are, we are coming towards the end of the program. The light is at the end of the tunnel. So and what I actually said was like, it's never going to get easier. Like I'm only going to get more and more sick. So if you're going to do it, 
now's the time. And, and I, we didn't know how fast my cancer is very aggressive. We didn't know how fast I would progress. And, you know, I was like, in my mind, like if I'm gone, he's never going to get to go back and do this. Like if there was a time, it has to be now. And I, you know, in our hearts, because we are people of faith, I said, this was this, my disease was not a surprise to God. And we both felt very convicted that he was supposed to start right then. And so I said, if we know in our heart that you're supposed to start now, and we think that God knows all things, this wasn't a surprise. So just continue in this path. And, you know, I, I believe we'll get it done. So I believe that too, Lauren, that, you know, God's not scratching his head saying, oh, shoot, what am I going to do now? Right? This is really messing up my plan for their life. Like, he knows all things and he knows what's best. And I think he gives that to us. And I love, I just love how you guys think. And I love the action that you take and the faith that you have. Like you said, like, we take risks, right? We do scary things that people are afraid to do because we want to live our best life. We want to do this. There's so many things to do. Yeah. On that note, we get a lot of pushback. A lot of people thought we were not making the right choice for Clifton to go to school. It was like a lot of people were in our face, like, why in the world would he continue? Look what you have to, you know, look what's going to happen to you. Why would he? And, and I would have to say like, we're, he's going to continue because of what might happen to me. Like, I want him to have a life that's going to support the girls and allow him to live out the life he sees for himself. But, but, you know, that's another part of it is people on the outside don't always understand what's going on in your heart and what God's called you to do. And you really have to believe what, you know, what you've been purposed for over the world, the words that come at you. Yeah. And you just got to get really good at that sentence. Mind your business, right? <laughs> mind your own business because like unless it just yeah it's amazing we we all need to be careful about the things that we say because we really don't realize that there's a lot of things we say we shouldn't well lauren let's talk about your good right now tell us a story about your good part of your journey well, mine's going to be a little less um deep maybe <laughs> but no. when but after the first year of of treatment. Um, I really wanted the girls to know there are seasons of hard and seasons of good. And so after my first year of treatment, that was really, really hard. Um, on my cancerversary, cancerversary is very important to me. Um, but on my first cancerversary, we all went to Disneyland for the first time <laughs> and we bought a season pass and we, we had never really been. And so we bought a season pass because I really wanted the girls to know that, there are terribly difficult moments in life. Then there are terribly beautiful moments and that you just, you always can keep moving forward. You don't have to stay sort of in a victim mentality. You know, your good times won't last forever, but, but you can look forward to other seasons in life. And so, um, so yes, we started going to Disneyland. I had never really been either as, as a child, I'd never been. And so it was very, very fun and special for our family. That's amazing. Oh my gosh. And a season pass. Are you kidding? Like, let's not go once. Let's just keep going. We are. Oh, Disney. It, was a, it was a, I called it the year of Disney. We were down there so much. It was crazy. Amazing. So we took the opportunity and we took anyone who had been a caregiver for us over the past year. We took them we, as a treat and we took them with us to like thank them and let them sort of decompress because cancer is a community, you know, experience. We all have to chip in. We have to do it together. People are carrying my burden that I don't even realize. Right. And so we took, we took all, I think everyone in our family at one point down to Disneyland and, and let them have a fun moment with the family as well. 
That is amazing. And those are memories they'll have etched in their hearts and souls forever. Okay. Tell me about the bad, just one bad story. I'll go. Um, well, I, and I wanted to go first cause I was afraid Lauren would steal mine and I don't have another one on deck. So if she steals mine, then I'll be out of luck, but I know she's more better on her feet than I am. So she'll be able to come up with one, even if I steal hers, but the bad is, it just seemed like all of her diagnoses have come around the holidays and the holidays are so hard already um, with, you know, family issues and they're just so busy and it's so much pressure on a mom for the presents and the turkey and all that jazz. It's just um, the holidays are already so insanely stressful. And then you add on top of that, the emotional baggage of, I mean, essentially the PTSD that comes with having a, a terminal diagnosis like right before Christmas. And so her, her initial diagnosis um, of cancer was right before Thanksgiving. And then her stage four diagnosis was right before Christmas. So every year um, we have the stress of the holidays mixed with the trauma of two, of two terrible diagnoses right at that time and almost back to back. So the holidays, you know, and, and then of course it's the, and then it's the crushing weight of this is supposed to be the greatest time of the year. This is supposed to be when you're full of joy and gratitude. And here we're, you know, struggling through um, the the weight of having to relive these bad experiences. It just becomes a, a really tough time. I think the Huffmasters need to have a rule in the house about no doctor's appointments in November or December. <laughs> I think there's a way to kick that right in the in the butt, right? Oh my gosh. And I do remember Lauren sharing that story. So Lauren, what would you say your bad is? I I, I do agree with Clifton. The fact that the holidays have been taken away is so hard for me. Um, just entering into the season is like, I just start crying like November 1st. Like, it's just really hard. And it's not that I, that I, I don't know what it is. It's not that I'm like still hurting. It's not that, you know, it's just this memory. I think that it's all tied in together and, um, and that's really, really hard. Um, so some other, what other bad, um, I think that I, and I, I, I think another thing is just that when you're living with metastatic disease or any cancer, really, you just never quite feel comfortable. Um, you never, you're never quite secure. Um, and so you don't, a lot of people plan scan to scan, you know, you plan, you don't want to plan for next year because you don't know what's going to happen. And I think that that's really hard. Um, and it, it is good to live in the day, but as humans, we have to make plans and like know what to expect. And, and you don't want one more thing stolen from you. And so there's, the future plans are always tainted. And I am a planner. If I could, I would have like the next 18 months to do anything, all the things I ever wanted to do on the calendar. And, um, but now I can't really find any joy in future plans. Um, because I, in COVID did this too, it took away a lot of plans from people. Right. And, um, but what if that's your always experience, you know, if, if I plan a trip to Spain next year, the question in my back of my mind is, can I really get excited about it? Because I don't know what's going to happen. Um, and so that just sort of that feeling of uncertainty around the holidays, around plans, um, it, there's a, it's hard to really live in joyful expectation anymore. And that, that is like a, that's a childlike thing. Right. And that keeps us young, having these joyful expectations, but to have that 
ability taken from you. You really can't live in joyful expectations except day to day. Um, and I live in joyful expectations for my work because I know that it's outside of me. And so it's going to keep growing even if I'm not there, but for myself, it's very hard to, um, to just, yeah, to, to, travel for fun and not think I'm traveling because this might be my last trip. You know, all these like things, these pressures and implications are hard when you have a metastatic disease. Yeah. I can just, I can't imagine even, you know, but I feel like it is one of those things where you have to choose right every day. Again, like we talked about, like just choosing to, to try to push that out and just make the plans. Yeah. Okay. We have to go ugly. Like if that's not ugly enough, right? So Clifton, I'm going to let you go first since you had a good good defense on the bed. (laughs) We don't want to leave you hanging here. Give us your ugly. The the ugliest part is that it's not easy. And this goes for every marriage, but it's just one more stumbling block for us to maintain a strong connection with each other in our marriage. Um, and it's maybe maybe the most overlooked um, negative side effect of cancer, and that is what it does to the husband and wife relationship. And so um, we we of course uh, you know we we feel like we do a great job, um, but we have so many um, positive things that help us to keep our connection strong, and yet we're still struggling to uh, keep a strong connection. And this is one more uh, difficulty in keeping a, a, a strong connection in our marriage. So I, I know that everybody struggles with that. I know that it's hard. But I feel like this is just, you know, one more hurdle that, uh, that most people don't have to face. Yeah. Just adds one more, one more thing to the equation that it's, and it affects everything, right? So it affects how you feel, how you think, it affects your emotions, it affects your energy. Like it's not just a thing, it's like the whole thing. And um, I could see that that would, I mean, life is already hard as you mentioned, right? But you guys have this magic, like, and I have to even say like those pictures from New York City, OMG, you guys, we'll talk about that later, but oh my gosh, why I got so much joy out of that, looking at those pictures and just seeing you two and the joy that you were having and the memories you were making and the experiences. Oh, I just, you do have magic. You do. Okay. We're going back to you, Lauren. Yeah. So tell us about the ugly. Yeah. I think that going back to our relationship, you know, that is the hardest thing because there is this, um, constant, um, um, exhaustion, just emotional exhaustion, um, strain, the, the constant strain that is just an undercurrent in our life because of the disease. Um, and then of course, just because my cancer is breast cancer, my body has changed in every possible way. Um, and there are a lot of things, not just like losing my breasts and having to be a 38 year old with menopause and, you know, but when, but just everything, it's just not just self-image, but it, it impacts everything about our relationship and, um, just mean knowing who I am in our relationship when I've lost sort of all the women parts of me, you know, and I think that's hard. It's hard to know, um, how to deal with that. Um, because it's not something people talk about. 
Um, but, but that also just leads to this emotional exhaustion, um, that it's just constant strain. And so again, we just have to be strong and, um, and lean on something bigger than us. And so for us, that's faith. Um, we have to lean in our faith and, and know that our strength doesn't come from what we feel like we can carry. I mean, our strength comes from God and, um, and both of us have to draw from God rather than maybe from each other, because we're both strained and we're both, you know, depleted most of the time. But, um, but the good news is we have a renewable resource. And so um, we're able to carry more and we're able to push out and even go, go help other people and give strength away. Um, but it, it, even though it might look easy, it is, it is a, you know, it is a moment by moment choice to, to continue to draw strength because if we ever stop it, everything unravels very quickly. <laughs> I can't even imagine. Okay. So let's open this up real quick, because before we say goodbye, I just want to cover a couple of these points that I think are so important. Um, you know, there may be a woman listening right now, who's going through this journey right now, her and her husband. And so I would love for you two to share some tips. So we'll, we'll, I think you can just bounce off of each other, but like, like Lauren, what did you feel that you needed to say or do, or how did you communicate to Clifton that like, this is what I need, or this is how you can help me, or this is how you can best support me. I think Clifton and I are still definitely working through this, but, um, I'd say that because cancer is such a, um, personal thing and it's changing so much on the landscape of your heart and your soul that no one else really has the ability to know what you need. Right. Um, because they're just, their landscape of their soul is being changed too. And they're being shifted. Their identity is being shifted. So as a, a patient, as a survivor, I really have to verbalize exactly what I need to Clifton in order for him to provide that. And so if I am needing a break or if I am needing encouragement or if I need to feel pretty or whatever I need, I have to exactly tell him in order for him to give me what I need because, um, because he, he's always guessing, you know, and, and what he can do is like do things around the house or take care of the kids and stuff like that. But, but with, I need something just for me, I, I have to tell him exactly. And he's, he wants, he's sitting there wanting to help me. And so if there's a breakdown, it's because I haven't verbalized it to him, um, what I need. Um, because as soon as I do, he responds, but sometimes we sit in our silence waiting for him to respond. And he's sitting over there waiting, wanting to know how he can help. And we're both sitting in our own little buckets and we just don't come together. And so I think that that's my advice for marriages impacted by cancer. I love that too, because, you know, we think they're mind readers out there, right? Like, why isn't he taking care of this? And it's, he's thinking like, why isn't she telling me what to do? And I think that's a guy thing too, that they need specific, like, just tell me what you need. I'll give you anything. Right. Yeah, uh, but they just want to know. Women, it, you know, maybe uh, over generalizations aside, women love to be nuanced and to give very subtle clues and men are terrible at subtlety and just want you to tell them what it is you want and what it is you need. So this is like, this is marriage advice for everybody. Men try to figure it out and do a better job of picking up on the subtle clues. Women do a better job of being more direct and telling your, um, telling your spouse what it is that you need. Uh, that's advice for everybody. These issues are probably just amplified when you're also dealing with cancer at the same time. 
right? Um, my, my advice, moving slightly away from relationships, maybe, my advice would be, folks, find the resources that are out there. There were so many different resources that we could have used that could have been extremely helpful to us, um, but we just didn't know about them, and we didn't know where to look. And we were, it was one of those things where you reach a point where you're so busy and life is so difficult that you don't have time to seek out the resources that you need. And so it becomes like this downward spiral of I'm so busy that I don't have time to look at what I could be doing to help me with my busyness. So take the time. It's worth every second you spend talking to people and learning, um, about what resources are out there because you, you know, you find that resource that provides childcare while your wife is at treatment and wow, your life just, you know, took a whole new turn. You find people providing meals, um, their trips and, you know, like what we do with the retreats, there's so many resources out there, find them, get connected with them because there's somebody out there needing to help you and you're needing the help, we just got to get those things connected together. Oh, that's great. That's great. And I think that's what things like this, where you guys telling your story is raising awareness, right? Where people know that there are resources that would help them. And Clifton, one last thing for you. Um, I know when, when we were at Stage for Change, you talked about your story and about the journey, and you talked about the four full-time jobs that you had. And I would love for you to share that just to prepare husbands uh, if they're entering this journey or maybe they're right in the middle of it, of what that looks like. What really do they need to prepare to either take on or delegate to someone else uh, during this time? Yeah, and because, so at the same, there's two different things going on at the same time, right? One time, uh, I couldn't have done this without the help that I got. Um, and so my family coming in on the weekends when I was at work to help um, care for Lauren and the kids, I couldn't have done it without them. At the same time, I didn't ask for help and I didn't connect with the resources that were there to help me. And so, um, the, but I, I, couldn't, I couldn't stop working. I was, had just started a new job. I had, I had no sick time. I had no vacation time. Um, we we couldn't do, you know, we needed the money. So I couldn't take unpaid leave. I had, I had to work. And, um, you know, that may not be everybody's story. Some people may leave their jobs. Some people may have time that they can take vacation. You know, I don't know, but for me, my story was uh, I had to work and I worked 12 and a half hour long shifts, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, that old weekend shift. And then somebody would stay with Lauren on the weekends and then, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, I was full-time um, caregiver for Lauren, especially during chemo and, and in the recovery from the surgeries, Lauren needed, um, Lauren needed full-time care. And so it was like, I became a nurse on top of, on top of my normal job. And then on top of that, you're dealing with, um, you know, being a full-time dad and you're taking care of the kids. And then on top of that, you're doing all the stuff that Lauren would ordinarily be doing, just your basic housework, your dishes, your cooking, your cleaning. So you're doing all that stuff too, that ordinarily you would have help with. So it's, it's a lot. And that's why I really, really want to impress upon you. Um, you can do it, um, but you're going to need help. 
So don't be afraid to reach out to those people that can help you. Amazing. And Lauren, is there anything you want to add to that as well? I would just say my organization is really working to create a platform so that we can share information because right now there just isn't um, any way to find it except through word of mouth. But we are working really hard to create solutions for this problem because it is so core to the experience of cancer. Um, so thanks for Clifton for bringing that up. <laughs> yes. Yes. It's amazing. I think the more prepared people are, I mean, it doesn't make it easier. I don't think, but it just, it just flows better. Um, and again, the foundation, you can find adventure therapy foundation at adventurefound.org, And you can reach uh, Lauren and Clifton there. And we are just about to wrap up. And so I just want to ask you both one last question. If you'll finish this sentence for me, the world would be a better place if more people knew blank. Lauren, you go first. Um, I think the world would be a better place if people knew that your experiences aren't and aren't only yours. I think we all live in our own struggles and we think that everybody else is not living in those struggles. But when really the reality is we're all in all of the world, all of the people are struggling through the same turmoils, right? We all have this similar weaknesses, similar strengths. Yes, they're, they're masked with other things. Like some people have divorce or some people have abuse or some people have all sorts of different things, but we are all walking through hurts and we're all walking through disappointments. We're, our identities are being shifted at all times and it doesn't look like that on the outside maybe, but, but the truth is that we are human, right? And our, our burden happens to be a terminal diagnosis. Um, but I think that when it comes down to it, life is fighting fear. It's overcoming isolation, you know, and it's dealing with shifting and broken identities. And I think that's the story of life for all people. Um, I tend to focus on the cancer community because that's who are the people I've been given, but I think this is the story for everyone. And if we could just breathe that in that, that this is the reality of life rather than breathe in an Instagram picture or whatever, you know, whatever's on TV as that's the reality. If we could breathe that in, we would all be less burdened because we'd look around and know that we're under, we could be understood very easily. Um, if we could just see each other through those eyes. No truer words. Thank you so much, Lauren and Clifton. The world would be a better place if more people knew how to find hope in their current circumstances, no matter what they are. That is fabulous. Thank you so much. And to our listeners, thank you so much for being with us today. I don't know where you are in your life or your business, but if you're face down on the ground right now, get back up, girl. Get back up. You can do it. Tell them, Clifton. Absolutely. All you got to do is take one uh, step at a time, put one foot in front of the other and Seek out hope and community. Get back up. You can do it. Hey, thanks so much for hanging out with us today. If you were inspired or learned something new, please subscribe to the podcast, give us a review, and share us with your friends. For more information about me and how I can support you, please stop on over to my website at camilehman.com and book a free call with me. I'd love to meet you and learn more about how I can support you.